0: talk about Barnabas and and this is going to be not your quote typical Christmas story but I think you'll see the need for us to be an encourager as we go about our times this Christmas usually with family and friends to be able to encourage and exhort is critical and we'll learn that from the life of Barnabas and particularly how he used and depended upon the Holy Spirit for that let me read just a passage again that Zach wrote, read in Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 37. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. In those days, there were sometimes people were renamed or nicknamed to kind of talk about the kind of person that they were. Simon was called the Rock, or Peter. James and John were sons of Thunder. And as we see, Joseph was called Barnabas because he was such an encourager. And that was the the name that the early church used for this Joseph of Cyprus. But his encouragement was many-faceted. Some people think that encouragement means Simply someone who says nice things to people or pats them on the back. And sometimes they can be even viewed as disingenuous in those, quote, encouragements. But this is not correct, and it's definitely not Barnabas. He was someone, as I mentioned, makes everyone around him better. He's the kind of guy that you want on your team. Uh, he must have had some means of support because uh, in those times, Land was the way to wealth, but he still worked to support his ministry in this passage that Zach read. Um, He was also, uh, Scripture also talks about he and Paul were uh, what we call tent makers. They were amongst a few gospel proclaimers that were still working. And you might ask, hold it, Joseph Barnabas was a Levite. And he had land. Now, were Levites supposed to sell or have land? You know, Numbers 18 says that you know that Levites were set apart and they were not to own the land. Now we're not sure, but I think it's it's plausible to think that the land that he owned was in Cyprus. Uh, the injunction there in Numbers 18 about not owning land was for the land within what God had provided for them in what we call the land of Israel. So I think that was the reason why he was able to sell that land and give it to the church there. Now, if you remember that passage in, Luke, in Acts 4, the next chapter after Barnabas sold his land and gave it to the early church, there's a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, right? They also tried to kind of mimic Barnabas by selling the land, but they kept some of it back. And God struck him down. I think there was a reason that God, through the, uh, uh, the writings of Luke, illustrated Barnabas and highlighted him because of his pure motives in giving and helping others. Okay? Let's talk about, let's skip over to Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 28. And I encourage you to get your Bibles out. If you have your Bible app, look at that. But Acts 9 28, we're going to see his courageousness and how he fought for an outcast. Starting in verse 26 of Acts 9, and when he, Saul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how the road he had seen, on the road that he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Barnabas saw an outcast like Saul, later to be called Paul, into fellowship that the church really didn't want. The church leaders in Jerusalem were afraid of him, And for good reason. Saul was the guy that was dragging Christians out to be killed, to persecuted. Now they're hearing rumors that this guy was converted to Christianity. But no one wanted to talk to him. They're afraid of him. Except for Barnabas. He took him and brought him to Jerusalem to meet with the elders there and convince them that, yes, this guy Saul is on our side. In fact, he's not just on our side, he's valuable in preaching the word. And because of Barnabas' stellar reputation, the apostles allowed him to bring in this feared persecutor of the Jews called Saul. And afterwards, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Saul and brought him into the fold. Continue on in the book of Acts, chapter 11, starting in verse 19. We'll read about how he was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And he was kind of what I call the troubleshooter of the early church. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. This report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch, where he he came and saw the grace of the Lord and was glad. And he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Let me read that again. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people, were added to the Lord. Christians were scattered abroad during Saul's part, persecution of the church, and a number of them went to Antioch. Now, Antioch is a city in Syria. In fact, there's a number of Antiochs throughout that region, but Antioch in Syria was the biggest, the most important, and kind of the hub of the Gentile uh, church. So they, uh, when the the church in in Jerusalem heard about what was going on there. They decided, we need to send somebody that we can trust to check this out. So who did they choose? Barnabas, of course. You know, he was their troubleshooter. Verse 24, I want to just emphasize this again. The reason why they chose him was because he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. I think that's something for us to take in as well. You know, he was full of the Holy Spirit. He knew where his power was. It wasn't out of his own strength, not out of his own eloquence or works. He knew and drew from the Holy Spirit and his strength. Uh, that's quite a compliment. You know, I would love people say say, you know, you're a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And remember, Luke wrote this after the confrontation between Saul and Barnabas that we'll talk about in just a few minutes. So even though they had some disagreement, a sharp disagreement, Luke and his buddy Paul knew the value that Barnabas provided. Continuing on in Acts chapter 11, verses 25 through 30, he saw the best in people and was trusted. Let me start reading in verse 25. So Barnabas went to Tarsus, look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For the whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. In Antioch, the people were first called Christians. Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit there'd be a great famine over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability Send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So there's a need in this city of, of Antioch for good teaching, right? So who's the one that saw the need? Barnabas. What did he do? You remember this guy, Saul of Tarsus, soon to be named Paul, said, I need his help. We need to work together. It's good to have a, pair, a partner to work together with. So he went up and got Saul, took him to Antioch, and they started teaching there. And God blessed their work immensely to the extent that when the, a big famine occurred in in Jerusalem, they decided in Antioch to take an offering and give it to the church at Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas and Saul to to bring it there. But let me put the context to that. Do the Jews like the Gentiles? No way. They wouldn't even be around them. That was the Jewish church. So here's a group of young Gentile believers in Antioch saying, hey, we need to reach out and give some of our precious resources to help the church in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. That's one of the amazing things is just how God had used Barnabas and Saul to instruct and educate this fledgling church about the importance of love across racial, across ethnic, across you know prior religious lines to help. And he used Barnabas in that. Continue on further in, in Acts. Let's look at verses Acts chapter twelve, verse twenty-five. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Um, Just as Barnabas saw potential in Saul, he also saw it in his cousin John Mark and took him along. As we see later, John Mark failed him. But nonetheless, in later life, Mark was used greatly in the service of the Lord. Skipping to Luke, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 13, let me read the first three verses there, and we'll talk about how he, Barnabas was identified by the Holy Spirit and set apart for it, starting in verse 1 of Acts 13. Now, there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Just a quick aside. In the month of January and February, we're going to have a focus in our church about prayer and fasting. I'm looking forward to what that will do for us. It's The Holy Spirit, I believe, will really be working in us this coming year. And it's a good way to start the year off like that. Once again, in this passage I just read in Acts 13, the Holy Spirit is explicitly working in Barnabas. Can there be a bigger compliment than the Holy Spirit telling the church, set off, send Barnabas and Saul to do this work? You know, they prove themselves to be obedient to God's call in Antioch. And now they're going on a dangerous missionary journey. Among the many places they visited was Cyprus, Barnabas' hometown. This first missionary journey, as many of you know, had a lot of ups and downs. Churches were started and strengthened. Many people, especially Gentiles, came to Christ. But they suffered immense persecution from the Jews and were kicked out of city after city after city after city. During this first missionary journey, <coughs> excuse me, Saul began to be known as Paul. In Lystra, in Acts chapter 14, the Holy Spirit used them mightily as they boldly preached the gospel and healed a lame man who had never walked. Many of the people of Lystra mistakenly assumed they were gods, as we'll see in Acts chapter 14, starting in verse 12. Let me read this for us. Barnabas was called Zeus, that's a Greek god, the chief Greek god, and Paul Hermes, because he was a chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus, whose temple was the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice to the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out of the crowd crying out, Men, what are you doing these things? We're also men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and all that is in them. How would you handle being called Zeus, the supreme God? Kind of a compliment, right? Instead of accepting their adulation, Barnabas and Paul's reaction was humble yet forceful in rejecting of their misplaced worship. But they made it safely back to Antioch, where they excitedly shared how God was working in the the Gentile world, and then went on to Jerusalem. While in Jerusalem, there's a group of Judaizers creating havoc in the church. The Judaizers, in case you don't know, were Jews who proclaimed Christ, but they said that the Gentiles had to convert, essentially, to Judaism, or at least obey the Jewish laws. This came to head at the council there in Jerusalem and the elders ruled in favor of Paul and Barnabas saying that the Gentiles did not have to adopt the Jewish practices uh, because Christ came to fulfill the law not, not to just follow the, the Old Testament law to the letter and the tittle as they say. So the elders wrote uh, after ruling for Barnabas and Paul they wrote a letter and said, go to the Gentiles and tell them this. That story is continued on in Acts chapter 15, verses 22 through 26. I'll read this, starting in verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and sent them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. Brothers. Both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some of you persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you, with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who risked their lives. For the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Barnabas and Paul's bravery was obvious to all. Even more than their bravery, the church needed someone who could powerfully refute these Judaizers that were unsettling the church there in Antioch. These people were trying to force the Gentile believers to adopt the customs of the Jews and make their salvation a works-based salvation and there were no better people to do this than Barnabas and Paul. Now we get into this kind of the messy part of his life. Skipping on to Acts chapter 15 verses 35 through 41. Let's see how he handled conflict. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. After some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. But Paul thought it was best not to take with him one who'd withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with him to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. Remember this word sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Now you may have noticed a subtle shift. that Up to this point, Paul and Barnabas were referred to always as Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas being the lead. But now we're seeing a shift where now Paul is mentioned first. And that's probably not a coincidence. Uh, Paul had become the chief speaker, and Barnabas seemed to be taking a secondary role. When they decided to go back and start a second missionary journey, a real conflict arose. These godly, passionate men couldn't come on an agreement on who to take with them on this second missionary trip. Barbus wanted to take John Mark, his cousin. John Mark was the guy that flaked on him in their first missionary journey and turned tail and went home. Saul or Paul by this time said, no way, I'm not taking this guy. He can't cut it in the missionary journeys that we have. And the word says there was a sharp disagreement. I'm not a Greek scholar, but the word there is paroximos. And we'll see this later in another passage I'm going to bring out. But this this sharp disagreement led to a, a division between Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas said, I'm taking John Mark and went up to Cyprus, among other places. Paul took Silas and others, including Luke, and went on another path. This sharp disagreement probably was ugly in one sense, but what did God do? He doubled the missionary workforce sent two groups out. You can see how God uses even conflict like this for his glory. It's obvious that they still maintained the highest respect for one another. Paul was very positive about Barnabas. There's a number of passages in Scripture that indicate how he looked both at Barnabas and John Mark in a very positive way. I'll read this one in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him and Jesus, who is called justice. These are the only men of the circumcision of the Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they've been a comfort to me. This is John Mark, who earlier Paul said, I don't want him. Don't bring that guy that's just not strong enough to handle it on the missionary trail. Now he says, bring him with me. for He's been a comfort to me. He was a comfort because Barnabas took him along with him. Even at the expense of severing that relationship with Paul for, for a period of time. But Barnabas... Just like so many of us, like all of us, wasn't perfect. And he had to share a problem. One of them was just peer pressure got the best of him. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. But when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him. And this is Paul speaking. I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself from the circumcision party, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. When I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Before them all, if you are a Jew, Though a Jew live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Let me just kind of sum this up here. So they were in Antioch. The Jews among them, Peter and Barnabas, were fellowshipping with the Gentiles. Again, before Christianity, that's a, a taboo. They were fellowshipping, eating with them. But when the Judaizers came in from Jerusalem, they set apart. They didn't associate with the Gentiles. They didn't eat with the Gentiles. When Paul heard of this, he came to him face to face and says, you're a hypocrite. You cannot do that. And to the credit, both Peter and Barnabas obviously took that criticism and repented of that. But that's the way it should be. We all struggle. I, 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 I do. My wife can verify that. Let me just kind of summarize what it is. This Barnabas, son of encouragement, um, set some great examples for us. Now, you may say, you know. I don't have the gift of encouragement, and, and encouragement or exhortation is a gift of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible also tells us, not just tells us, commands us to encourage, to exhort one another. You don't have a choice. You are to encourage and exhort, regardless if you have that as a spiritual gift. Let's look at some verses that speak just to this. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. That's clear. You are to encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. And it was a compliment to the Thessalonian church that they were doing that. And that needs to be said of our church as well. Let me read another passage along those lines. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. Hebrews 3, 13 but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Some translations like the New American Standard use the term encouragement rather than exhortation, but they're very similar in their meaning in this passage. The point is that we should be doing it and doing it continually. It's not something that we do for a while and decide, "Ah, eh, I'm tired of encouraging one another I'm tired of exhorting one another I need a rest give me time out let's also look at Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24 and 25 and this is one of my favorite passages of scripture there's many things to say about it but I'll try to restrict it to just my major point here Hebrews 10 24 and 25 and let us consider how to stir one another up stir one another up to love and good works Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, the Greek word proximos is the word that she translated stir one another up. That was the word also to describe how when Barnabas and Paul were having a sharp disagreement about whether to take John Mark with them. The exact same group that's translated sharp disagreement in Acts is translated stir one another up here in Hebrews chapter 10. And the point I want to make here is this encouragement, this stirring one another up, is leading to action. It's, again, not just patting on somebody on the back, but it's stirring up. Sometimes it means exhorting, maybe reproving. Sometimes it may be just grabbing somebody up and say, come with me. We need to do the work together. But regardless, it's a way of engaging people to follow the Lord closer and closer. So our encouragement is to drive others, to help others, to love and good works. And it's not coincidental, this thing also, this passage in Luke, excuse me, Hebrews 10 also says, we should not neglect the meeting together as is the habit of some, which is the meeting's like we have here at church. As we approach Christmas, one of the best ways you can glorify God is to practice encouragement to those that are in your life. You hear it all the time. In fact, it just seems more and more how people suffer this time of year, whether it's depression, uh, anxiety, all kinds of, of issues that people have. In a time that this should be a great celebration But in many people's lives, it's a great disappointment. Your words and your actions can be used by God if you depend upon the Holy Spirit. So let me just summarize and maybe challenge you what I would consider some of the characteristics of Barnabas that we should seek to emulate. So here's some lessons that I think I'm learning on what I can learn from the son of encouragement, Barnabas. The first question is, are you relying on the Holy Spirit? That was a key for Barnabas, to be used by God, and it's a key for us today. The Holy Spirit is the power that we appropriate to be able to encourage others as well. Without the Holy Spirit, yeah, we can do some work, but that doesn't work out in the end. We have to rely upon the Holy Spirit. Is there a physical or material need that we should respond to? Like Barnabas, when he sold his land in Cyprus and gave it away to the fledgling church in Jerusalem. Look for opportunities. Don't wait to be prompted. And I might add, some of the greatest blessings that you'll ever receive is being able to give something anonymously. The joy in that is truly amazing. Thirdly, can you help someone who's not comfortable or even feels like he or she is not wanted in the church? Is there a Saul of Tarsus around that needs others to extend the right hand of fellowship to bring them in? Are there people like that in your life or you might meet them and they need that prompting, that bringing that right hand of fellowship to bring them into the fold and to help them. You know, we're, we're a hospital for the, the sinners and we need to be helping those who are struggling. Fourthly, is there a new or young believer that you can encourage, even, even if they've made mistakes like John Mark? I mean, face it, John Mark didn't handle the pressure and that first missionary journey. He flaked Went back home to Mama. Without Barnabas coming over and taking him with him, we use the term mentor. That's what he was. He mentored John Mark to the point that now we celebrate his gospel because of the work that Barnabas did in helping them through. Is there anybody, is there a Barnabas, or excuse me, is there a John Mark in your life? doesn't have to be a new believer. Is there somebody like that in your life that you can bring along with you? And finally, are you willing to confront someone respectfully and biblically? And also the reverse. Can you take respectful and biblical confrontation from one another, from another one? Paul did this with his friends Peter and Barnabas. Those conversations are never easy. I would imagine when Barnabas took Saul to meet the elders in Jerusalem, there was some confrontation there, some exhortation, you need to bring this guy in. He's changed, his life has changed. I, uh, I can only just think the joy that Barnabas has, has given to us. Most of us are Gentiles. Without his work in leading the missionary efforts, whether it's bringing in Saul, the persecution that he has, the separate missionary journeys that he did, the strengthening, being the, the, the trusted servant from the home church in Jerusalem to Antioch and beyond, helping, encouraging, directing, guiding these churches, that now we see not just a little cult. Of Judaism in Jerusalem, but we see Christianity being able to be uh, throughout the whole world to the remotest part of the earth, and it started there with those efforts that were spearheaded by this guy, Barnabas, son of encouragement. Those difficult conversations that he had reminds me of Proverbs chapter 27. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Some of that encouragement entails that kind. Most of it's helping someone up, giving of your time and talent and resources, being someone that's trusted, whether it's someone just confide in you or someone that be used by others to take the gospel beyond your current boundaries. I may not have convinced any of you to name your next son Barnabas, but I pray. That you'll be an encourager like him. And this Christmas season, I pray that you can make an extra effort to be like Barnabas, the son of encouragement.